You're listening to the Give Me Five Podcast, episode 72. This is the Give Me Five Podcast, a semi-entertaining show about very entertaining things. My name is Greg, and I am here with Rob. What's up? And Jimmy. Howdy. How you guys doing? Everyone can hear everybody? We're all good? <laughs> I think we can this time, yes. Yeah, okay. let's let's make a show for the, the fine folks out there listening. Excellent. So what we do out here, guys, is we discuss pop culture. We talk about entertainment. We talk a little bit about nostalgia because we're like old guys. Well, I am. They aren't. And then we chat about it. We do a bunch of other things, and we have some fun. This week, we've got Polar... And the Ted Bundy tape. Speaking of fun, nothing is more fun than horrible serial killers. Mm. Yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll talk about the Super Bowl a little bit. We're going to do a bunch of stuff. Kingdom Hearts 3. Oh, yeah, and, which is not on the list, but Kingdom Hearts 3, because Rob is delving into the world of Kingdom Hearts 3, and I'm intrigued, because I have never played any of those games. At the end of the show, we're going to ask a give-me-five question. We're not sure what that one is yet, but we'll, we'll know by the end. And then, also... Our host, me, this time, will get a chance to rant about something that's on our mind. So You've anger, got something rage. stewing, don't you? I have lots of things stewing, but something did bump my angry Moe's rant from the top of the list. So, Ooh. Yeah. Well, guys, as always, this is a review show, and there will probably be spoilers. Like always, we'll try to avoid any major twists. So if we're talking about something that you haven't seen, read, or listened to yet, then you might want to use your own discretion and come back anything new guys i've got a couple of things <laughs> if, if rob if you don't want to talk about this i know you were pretty excited about it well no i i just i just noticed it um i don't even remember when i actually saw it but i just noticed the trailer for something that we've actually talked about in the past mm-hmm. um and that's uh scary stories you tell in the dark or scary stories to tell in the dark or yeah scary stories to tell in the dark yeah the the book that I confused with monsters you've never heard of. I just I just remembered that today. I was like, what move? What book was it? I thought was that because it was the book with the kid reading the book and his hair standing up. Anyway, that's okay. That's yeah, book. yeah. But yeah, I, I noticed that, and I told I told uh, I texted Greg, and I'm like, hey, didn't didn't we talk about this? And Greg's like, yeah, like a year ago. I'm like, well, well we talked we talked about it getting optioned. We didn't talk about it actually the first trailer, oh. which I saw as well. And actually, to be honest. I watched that trailer. I totally thought it was a really early Halloween Horror Nights, like, ad. and that was that was kind of what I thought mm-hmm. when I saw the trailer too. Uh, they, but they didn't really give away too much, if I'm not mistaken, in the trailer. I mean, it's been a little while since I saw it, but I, I don't remember any like major details. It was more kind of like a teaser than a trailer. Yeah, it was like a girl that has a zit, which is you know scary apparently, and she runs to the, like a bathroom, the typical like high school bathroom you always see, and she looks at closely at the zit, and you see like a bug crawling out of her face. Yeah. So it's definitely going back to that urban legend of, like, the spider that, bite or something. Is that the only one you saw? That's the only one I saw. Yeah, that's the only it, one I saw. Really? There's, like, four. Oh, Ooh. well. Yeah. I uh, Come on, guys. Okay, well, we will go look. Not right now. Jeez. We're busy. We're busy doing something. But afterwards, we'll look. That's it. Put the podcast on hold. We're going to go look. No, no, no. No, so there, there are, like, four... Trailers. There are four little teaser trailers. One features, you know, this character. Another f- features that character. So they're they're profiling like four, five, maybe even more characters 
from the books. So I think they're going to pull them all into the same world. Otherwise, they're going to do an anthology kind of deal. Um, I specifically remember these books being like the rated R Goosebumps. Um, at somehow they were for kids, but I remember them genuinely keeping me up at night. So it is um, produced by Guillermo del Toro. Um, personally, I think if he's got his his hands on it in any way, then it then it should be good. I'd be horribly disappointed. You just want if to rub wasn't. it on your nude body, then? No, mm, I wouldn't say that. But um, you know, I, I'd be really disappointed if it's not good. So um, we'll be looking forward to that. We'll be talking about it. I'm sure. Most definitely. Nice. Yeah. Uh, well, since else we're from? talking, since we're talking about uh, serial killers later, there's some ser- un- there is some serial killer news that's related that Jimmy put up there. So go ahead. I did, yeah, and I have to thank Kerwin for pointing this out. The um, Netflix movie, um, not the one that we will be talking about here in a little bit, the documentary, but the movie starring um, Zach Efron, who plays um, Ted Bundy, was just purchased by Netflix. So writing on the success of the conversations with the killer of the Ted Bundy tapes, uh, naturally, um, Netflix has, you know, bought the rights to extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. Hopefully that'll be premiering soon. By all accounts, uh, Zach Afron is great in it. And uh, did you guys know that uh, James Hetfield is in this movie? I did not know that. No. Uh, Rob, do you know who James Hetfield is? I do not. He's the lead singer of Metallica. Oh. Yep. I had a feeling that was a thing. He plays the uh, Utah police officer who first stopped Ted Bundy. Ah. So. That's interesting. Yeah. So looking forward to that. This actually has a very interesting perspective that's different than most of these horror movies or these true life serial killer movies. Uh, It's actually from the perspective of his girlfriend, his longtime girlfriend, Elizabeth Klopfer. So you're not you're going to see him not in a he's the hero of the movie kind of light, which is always a big worry when you're covering these movies that people will glorify them. You know, it's a pro- you see it a lot with like the Sopranos and Breaking Bad, even those are those are fake people. But with serial killer yeah. movies, all of a sudden there's people that are like, oh, so and so so dreamy. And we're going to definitely talk about that kind of stuff later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this um, this looks really good. And uh, I was really excited when I heard this news. So thanks, Kerwin, for pointing that out. And you should be catching that on the small screen soon. Nice. Man, you, you just hit it up with news. I, I You should just plow through these. Just boom. All right. Do them. Fine. You are tearing me apart, big shark. That should be the headline. It should be. There's a new Tommy Wiseau movie in the works. And a trailer was shown. It is called Big Shark. And it, of course stars Tommy Wiseau and uh, Mark Sestero and it is about flooding in New Orleans and then New Orleans is terrorized by a big shark so you can find the little like teaser clip online he puts that dude through so much stuff he puts what is it Mark Sestero is that is that his buddy's name yeah like that guy is so patient that I feel that while they're filming this movie, that he's going to get eaten by. I'm a sorry, shark. it's Greg Sestero. Greg Sestero. That's what it, I should have. Yeah, I, I, knew, I thought his name was Greg. My bad. For some reason. Hmm. But yeah, I'm convinced that he's going to be like 
no, 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 we need a better take here. Wear this suit I made out out of stakes and jump in the water with this shark. And that guy seems to just go along with this stuff. Okay, that sounds like a good yeah. idea. Pretty much. Um, there's some speculation that the movie hasn't been made yet, that maybe this was just a trailer to um, uh, gather some clout to have it made. Or to sell some Taco Bell nacho fries. Yeah, but it said that Tommy Wiseau wanted to give his uh, home state something back um, because he does claim that he's from Louisiana. She very obviously is from somewhere else, like space. <laughs> <laughs> he should kill that referee if he wants to give something back to the <laughs> yeah, right? city of New Orleans. He'd be a hero. He'd have a statue built in the center of the French Quarter. Yeah. I, I do have one more thing, um, and it's on an unfortunate note. I hate to be the bearer of bad news two weeks in a row, but legendary actor whose career spanned from the 50s until recently, Dick Miller has passed away. And if you don't know Dick Miller, he was, uh, he served his country in the United States Navy. He was a middleweight boxing champion and he was also in the movies. Demon Knight, these are just the ones that, that kind of jumped off, uh, you know, popped out to me. Demon Knight, he was in Gremlins, Terminator, Rock and Roll High School, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so if you Google Dick Miller, you see his face, you'll know exactly who that is. Who was he in Gremlins? Uh, he was, I have to double check on that. He was in part one and two. Murray Futterman. Oh, he was Futterman. Yep. Yeah, he was in The Howling as well. Um he was in the Burbs. I mean, his he was just in so much stuff, and and uh, actually is in the upcoming film Hanukkah with um, Sid Haig. So, uh, rest they really in peace. Make, they really make a horror movie about Hanukkah. Yeah, starring Sid Haig. Uh, I'm telling Dick you, Miller, right now. Uh huh. That we were watching that movie for the for next year's Halloween, for like next year's the the extravaganza the, of holiday movies. This is the movie that Sid Haig lost up bunch of wait for and people were saying of course oh what's wrong with you you know you look sick and everything poster is freaking awesome it is yeah and it's uh you know finally gonna get a hanukkah's gonna get its 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 due hanukkah it's like a menorah made out of like human bones and it's it's just, it's a cool the movie's called it. hanukkah oh yeah so rest in peace dick miller Thank you for all of your amazing roles in such campy horror films and classic films from the early days. Uh, yeah. Okay. So sorry to deliver the bad news, but let's find some good news because we're going to talk about a lot more bad news later. So the Avengers Endgame long-form trailer came out during the Super Bowl, and it, I, it was you know quick flashes of a bunch of stuff. Uh, did you guys see it, and what did you think? I saw, I saw the one... Um, I guess it was during the Super Bowl, but it wasn't really like a full length trailer. It was just like Captain America talking a lot. Captain America was, yeah, it was Captain America was talking. Uh, they are not going to do full length trailers. This is probably most likely it. They're not going to show anything beyond the first 15 minutes of the movie from okay. what uh, they said, what Disney said. Because lo- let's be clear, they don't even need to do a trailer. People are going to see it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Captain America's like talking. There's, it's very clear that, that, the half of everyone disappearing has caused great turmoil, as expected. Uh, looks the clips that you can see if you slow them down looks like there's kind of a caravan or a grouping of of boats that is kind of gathered around the Statue of Liberty, like making like a floating city. Um, 
some people not being able to move on. It looks like there's that kind of stuff. And then the remaining heroes basically starting to form up. So you saw some Rocket Raccoon. Mm -hmm. You saw Ant-Man and Captain America, obviously, at War Machine. Uh, there were some weird spaces in stuff that leads me to believe that someone was left out, like rotoscoped out of the footage. Because if you okay. see there's some like digital tomfoolery in some of the spacing, so I'm guessing that's Captain Marvel, unless there's like a crazy new surprise character. <laughs> that would have been even better if they drew like a, a really crude Microsoft paint <laughs> version like, of like little Sil monster or something. Or like Silver or Surfer. Like yeah. Like a dude in aluminum foil, like dressed as Silver Surfer or something. Hey guys! So. <laughs> uh, that was my like aluminum Silver Surfer impersonation. Uh... I think Jimmy knows something. That was a spot-on Aluminum Silver Surfer impression. Hey, look, I might... Well, or no, no, might it wouldn't be Aluminum there. Silver Surfer. It would just be Aluminum Surfer. Yeah, it's true. Uh, real quick, true. one other thing I did see about this. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be the Aluminum Surfer for <laughs> Halloween this year. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> nice. There's a title for us. The Aluminum Surfer. The other little thing about that movie is they started doing test runs, and the movie is currently three hours and 20 minutes. However... They said it's unheard of that for them. Various people have said that they've done four test runs, full theaters, and only in this three-hour and 20-minute movie, only one time did anyone leave to use the bathroom, and it was only one person. God, it's three hours and 20 minutes. Yeah, they're, they're working on cutting it down. Uh. Honestly, if the movie is that good that people aren't getting up, I don't mind a three-hour and 20-minute movie. I mean, movies they said like... It's the culmination yeah. of 10 years of movies, and mm -hmm. they have to give, yeah. it, give the characters credit, like the give the, uh, all the threads credit. I mean, because I'm re Braveheart was like three and a half hours, but to me, it, it doesn't seem like that. I mean, if the movie is good, it just doesn't seem like it's that long. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The movie ends, and you're like, wait, 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 no, 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 I need more. Um. I'm going to reverse course on that a little bit because Marvel could have done the, the cheap asshole thing and split it into two films. That is so true. Well, they kind of did. Good on you. They actually kind of did because they did kind of split it into two movies, but they each oh, yeah, they do right. kind of stand alone. Yeah. Um, good on you. They could have split it into uh, three movies is what we're yeah. – Just bring a uh, bring an extra plastic bottle into the theater with you. Do not do that. And uh, Yeah. Well, it's, it's dark. Who's going to know? It's time for Snap Decisions. Ooh. Okay, so here is my first little random thought Snap Decision. The other day I was uh, browsing through Reddit, and I saw this question. And it, this is not my actual question, but it just led me to think of something. Uh, medical professionals of Reddit, so obviously you know who this is going towards. Uh, what are some things that happen in movies that are completely unrealistic in real life? and so, of course, people said uh, CPR is, does not magically make someone into Lazarus, Lazarus bringing people back to life. Lazarus? Lazarus, <laughs> yeah. Somehow that became Nazareth and Lazarus together. And then, of course, talking about people that are doing CPR for a long period of time, and someone said that they've done CPR for 20 minutes and they couldn't move their arms at all the next day. And then, of course, someone also said that the defibrillator is not at all used in real life like it's used in movies or TV shows. Where so, you rub them together. Well, just that they're not for flatlining. They're for, like, arrhythmia, right? Is that the point, yeah. Rob? You, yeah. you, don't, so like, you don't shock asystole. Yeah, that's, what, that's almost exactly what someone wrote. The person that wrote about this was, in real life, the flatline represents the absence of electrical activity in the heart and is, re and is referred to as asystole. 
A defibrillator is used when electric activity in the heart becomes erratic and disorganized in an attempt to return it to normal, is what they wrote. So this person clearly knows what they're talking about, as does Rob. I'm, it's good, because when I hang out with him, if I decide to die, I'm glad that he's around. So that being said, my question is that since movies are constantly showing this in the wrong way, mm-hmm. and we now are living in an era where a lot of businesses actually have the the little shocking paddle things there, do you think that is irresponsible and that either there should be some sort of law about doing that or they mm-hmm. should do the thing that they kind of did with like cigarettes where they're like, there's no law, but they've decided to kind of not make people smoke. Um, what do you mean they've decided to not make people smoke? They've just not had characters recently that were smokers. In, in, yeah, in PG movies, PG-13 movies. Oh, like, oh, oh, gotcha. In, in, even in some R movies, but if it's a lower thing movie, like characters just don't smoke well, anymore. Let me let me alleviate some of your concern, Greg. The, okay. the AEDs that are available for public use are fairly idiot-proof. That sounds like a challenge. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> they don't come with paddles. They come with pads that you have to stick mm-hmm. to the patient. And each pad has a picture of a human body and where it goes on the body. So when you're looking at the pad, the pad tells you with a picture, not words where to put it. So you put, you put, you know, each pad where it's supposed to go. And then you turn the machine on and the machine tells you step by step what to do. Ooh, baby. Yeah. All you have to do (laughs) is hit the power button. Yeah. They have one of those right near the time clock at work tomorrow, Jimmy. Let's get ourselves fired. And Uh, you going to pay me? (laughs) And it won't, and it won't let you shock a rhythm that is not shockable. So if you hook up gotcha. the pads and it's and it recognizes that the patient is in asystole, that's it. The machine won't the machine won't do anything. It says continue CPR. It'll tell you continue CPR. The point. All right, I've had uh, CPR training. I've had AED training and mm-hmm. and basic um, medical response training. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but CPR is there to keep the heart moving until proper medical help arrives correct essentially yes essentially cpr is designed to to circulate blood and oxygen because even if you're not ventilating there's still oxygen in the blood so you're Um, pumping their heart correct and Mm -hmm. and and in recent years it has become a a much a much heavier focus on compressions than ventilations each oh, okay. year, the the amount of compressions that you do in between each breath goes up because the important thing is to continue pumping blood with oxygen through the body. Um, and and when the blood circulates through, I think you only use something like 20% of the oxygen that's attached to the red blood cells when it pumps through. So there, the blood in your bloodstream still has oxygen attached to it. So you can continue to cycle blood through the body and it'll still oxygenate. It'll help oxygenate. It's mm-hmm. not It's not optimal but the circulation is more important than the breathing. Right. I can go ahead and go first. This is hard in a minute. All right. So starting now. So um, I do think it's irresponsible. I think I've seen things in movies that maybe when I was younger and more impressionable that I thought I might be able to do without getting hurt or that if I did get hurt, someone would just bring me back to life by performing CPR on me, Uh, like playing with electricity and fire and things like that. Um, do I think they're, mm, 
I think they should self-govern themselves. I mean, there there could be a, a warning. I mean, they've already put, you know, labels on them. So I guess maybe that's the cover. I don't know. But uh, certain things that bother me in films are the... Uh, and man, I couldn't help but to, to think of it when we're watching Willow. Uh, the sword slash across the back that kills people. Or the in like Tomb Raider, the arrow to the shoulder, people just immediately die. Um, another one I thought of was uh, the bends. Um, you know, you see a lot of times people in water will surface very quickly and they'll be fine. Well, the bends is a very serious thing that can happen to you, and that's really all my time. So, self-govern, be more conscious of that, and know who your your target audience is, because people are going to see the movies anyway, whether they're four or fourteen or twenty-four. In in this particular respect, um, I will say no. I don't feel it's irresponsible because the stuff that you have access to as just a regular person wandering around is not going to be something that you can f up. Um, the fact that I and I do think that it is that it is good in respect that if more people think that they can have that kind of an outcome with CPR you're going to get more people who are interested in actually learning CPR. And I think the That's more people who learn point. CPR, the better. So anything that you can do to get people to learn CPR is fantastic. Now, go ahead. I'll, I'll give an afterthought. I'm sorry. I mean to cut you off. Oh, um, so, so no, I, I don't feel that in respects to that particular thing that it's actually irresponsible. I would, I would say that, that, I mean, you might even argue that it would, that it's helpful. Because if people think that they can make that kind of a difference, they might make the effort to learn. That's a very good point. Um, have you finished making your point? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So now I, I have a disclaimer to folks out there. Mm -hmm. If if you've taken what Rob says to heart, I, I definitely encourage people to go out there and get the proper training. Don't just watch a YouTube video on, on CPR. Um, if, if you're going to do that route, you can take a free class. You can get certification. Um because it's very important to be certified. There are classes um, everywhere. Yeah, because if you just go willy-nilly and start performing CPR on somebody and they die, you're not certified. Uh, yes, the Good Samaritan law is in effect, but there have been cases where people have been sued for not doing things properly or without the correct certification. And uh, Rob will even give you classes alone is it in his house around 2 in the morning. Lots of mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, baby. <laughs> God, you you knew what you were doing. <laughs> you set him up, I'll knock him down. Don't act surprised. I wasn't acting surprised. I was wondering what that sound was. <laughs> it was me, like, laughing and stuff. Do you have a problem yeah. with the way I laugh? I'll never laugh around you again. I'm sorry, Greg. No, no, you should. Anyway, yeah, you guys covered a lot of what I was going to say. My only thing is, I, I think in some ways, to make movies better or TV better, Sometimes having those people out there, you know, like, like Rob, you could hire him for this to actually show what it's like, what, you know, it might not be the most exciting thing, but having some realism in movies and stuff mm -hmm. might actually be a good thing. Now, the weird thing is, is that a lot of times they do, they know what the wrong way for someone to die is or for certain things to happen is, but they don't do it because people are so trained to see it the other way. They're like, well, why do they just do this? So well, I'm not entirely sure there needs to be some sort of law, but um, I do think that the, like Jimmy said, there there should be some self-control on that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, like, like I said, they did self-control on cigarettes. They did self-control on alcohol and alcohol ads. There was not 
hardcore alcohol ads for many years, and that wasn't a law. Everyone said it was, but it wasn't. Chloroform doesn't work the way you see it in the movie. Uh, Jimmy, do you have something you need to talk to us, talk about with us? And how do you know? Um, Go ahead and finish your point, Greg. (laughs) Um, Well, thanks for listening, guys. I gotta go. Cops are here. See ya. (laughs) That's all I got. Learn CPR. Get certified. Just recently, our next topic hit Netflix, and that is a movie called Polar. It's starring Mads Mikkelsen, Vanessa Hudgens, and is directed by the former drummer of Bathory, black metal band, and uh, director of Lords of Chaos, the black metal documentary about Norwegian black metal that the characters don't have Norwegian accents. Jonas Ackerland. Uh, real quick, as an aside here, uh, that movie is playing at the Enzian for us, the 16th and the 17th. Of February? Uh, only two showings, yes. So the movie starring Mads Mikkelsen, like I said, is about a retiring hitman who's approaching the end of his career. That's what retirement means if you're an idiot. But there is a clause, there is a clause in his contract that lists the only benefactor to his uh, millions that he's accumulated. He's a very simple man. He doesn't have a lot of possessions. Uh, the sole benefactor is the company that employs him. So the company tries to kill him. Do they succeed? Do they not succeed? I'm not going to tell you, but it is. I thought a pretty good offering. Now, I do say here a little bit later in the notes, but I'll go ahead and say it because I think Rob had a point. Um, this movie makes John Wick look like a Disney film. Um, it is a lot more graphically violent than John Wick. Um, I think I said today it, it's like John Wick and Hostel like, had a cinematic baby. Now, now that being said, I will also say that I think that John Wick is a far better movie. There is a dog in this movie. I have so many concerns. Uh, yeah, okay, let, let me. You guys gave your opinion. I'm I'm only halfway through it, so I'm kind of okay. turning back here. You mentioned the dog, and so this week, so as you guys who listen a lot might know, because you've heard it in the background, I do have a little French bulldog, a little female French bulldog who snores a lot. Mm-hmm. Blake and snortles. yeah, yeah, Blake, or Blake snortles. Blake snortles. The uh, the smush face killer. Is also I like that one. Yeah, smush face killer. Go. Let me guess, your wife gave her that nickname. No, that was me. Mm, I don't. She's not. That. She's not into the Wu Tang Clan. Mm, not that you know. Uh, but but anyway, I uh, this week and and actually a little bit of last week, there was three Frenchies in major roles. So there was a, on Modern Family, the Frenchie had to have surgery, mm-hmm. and they were worried it was going to die. It didn't, but. I was like, okay, but like every single time I saw a Frenchie on TV, I was like, oh, I have to save this to see my wife to see it. <laughs> yeah, don't save Polar. And then uh, the next one, there was what's the else I watched where there was a Frenchie. Oh, I was watching uh, Future Man, and which if you guys haven't seen Future Man, it's really funny. It's by the it's by Seth Rogen, and it's kind of like Terminator Two, where they're going back in time to like stop something, but every time something worse happens, gonna mm-hmm. go back. So they end up going to a it's in the eighties they're like a shoot for like a uh Budweiser Spuds McKenzie kind of commercial. Mm-hmm. And you know, since they of course lived under the apocalypse, they basically ate whatever they found. So it was this cute little Frenchie riding around on a on a uh skateboard. It's like, oh I should save this part for my wife. And then later on you see the Frenchie on like a spit like a barbecue spit being eaten or being roasted. Mm. Like, 
Oh, delicious. And then, of course, this one where the Frenchie bothers the sleeping hitman who is having a nightmare about some of his past doings. And you see the Frenchie get, like, blown away in kind of a humorous way. But Well, you don't actually see it. You see it fly away. He flies off of it. He flies away. Uh, I don't. Yeah. There's there's a long shot where it's more humorous than. I mean, it's not funny, funny, but it's like. I think mine cut away because I think the version I saw, he woke up, pointed his gun, snap, snap, snap. You just saw him. And as he as he kind of um, realized what happened, he just the camera just stayed on him. And and he goes, oh, shit. Oh, shit. No, in mine, he said uh, he said the dog's name. Were you guys watching Polar Bandersnatch? Polar. I'm not going to finish that. No, he said the dog's name. He says, Rusty. Yeah, yeah, well, he said he says the dog's name. You know it was the dog. No, he, but... you, you see, you definitely see it. He I'm gonna let away. you guys argue over this and yeah, continue. No, he definitely flies away because I the first time he said it, I was like, oh no, did he? And then I rewound it and had to see it again. So you definitely see it. It's a quick shot, but and then it, he says Rusty, and then the next scene is him covering up the hole in the like outside. So anyway, go on. The movie um, features a lot of Guy Ritchie style editing. Are you guys familiar enough with Guy Ritchie style films? Would you agree oh, with yeah. me? Oh, definitely. Like a lot of cutaways, yeah. a lot of a lot, lot of weird, with it. like a lot of weird transitions where, like, the next shot, you know, somebody who's on one, you know, one end of the line, they'll their their card will like swipe halfway into the screen, and then the other person picks up and they'll swipe halfway into the screen, or it's got like a character will be walking out of a a door and it'll, you know slow down or stop and pop their name up next to them and it's like Cindy you know like um, that kind of thing so there's a lot of that it's it's you know Polar originated as a graphic novel I thought the treatment of the movie was very true to that um, certainly a lot of the impossible violence and um, the you know not really feasible foresight that the main character had Almost like he has like a spider sense. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. It had a, a kind of like fight club style film treatment to it that just made the gory scenes just even more disturbing. It was very saturated and very high contrast and, uh, you know, lots of close ups on wounds. Uh, I'm talking about a scene in particular where a character is tortured by having little snips um, with a pair of scissors um, mm-hmm. hundreds of times. And there's lots of that one made me that one hurt. That one was hard to watch. There's a lot of graphic drug use in it. Um, so if you're like me and watching needles go into veins uh, gives you the real heebie jeebies, then. Uh, there's a lot of that in here. So disclaimer for you. Um, Vanessa Hudgens, she was unrecognizable, almost unrecognizable in the movie. She, I thought she did a great job as, um, the, the quote neighbor. Um, she had this real kind of jumpy sense about her and, and played the role very well. Mads Mickelson was great. I'd love to see him cast in good. more action movies like that. Well, he was excellent um, as Hannibal. Yep. He's and, in Hannibal. Uh, he was great in Doctor Strange as well. I mean, he's good in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Got to get me some glove guns. There's a scene in the trailer where he lifts his hands, and he's got these funky kind of gloves on, and he 
opens his hands and guns start firing. And then in the, you know, in that same scene, he just kind of waves his hands back and forth. And he's like these motion controlled guns with his hands. Mm-hmm. I just wish he did like sparkle, sparkle fingers, you know, that would have been great. <laughs> if he just like wiggled his fingers around. Spirit fingers. Spirit fingers. That's it. Not sparkle fingers. I'm thinking a Jubilee. What a hell of a superpower. <laughs> um, I'm just letting you run with it. <laughs> there's a there's a great scene in there where it's a, it's a very John Wick kind of scene where it's like one of the villain one of the bad guys is like oh man to another bad guy he goes oh man you you like you killed John Wick's dog oh oh shit no no man we're good we're out of here <laughs> and uh, the, the main character shows up and the security guards just kind of walk by him they're like oh, oh excuse us sorry <laughs> and they leave. They're like, no, nah, we ain't protecting you, dude. You you woke the devil, basically. Um, that was the part that probably got the biggest laugh out of me. Um, I, turns out the dude actually does have a heart. Um, but the uh, what were you gonna say, Greg? Uh, the the part that got my got me to laugh was definitely him talking at the school. Oh yes. oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who wants to see a uh, see a picture of a dead body that's been in the sun for three for three days or three weeks? And I'm like, who the hell would let this guy talk to kids? Well, <laughs> you you don't know what the neighbor's character. And I'm sorry, I'm forgetting her name, but the character played by Vanessa Hudgens. You don't know what kind of involvement she has at the school, and she's talking to Mads Mickelson, and she goes, um, "Hey, you should come by the school sometime and talk about your life experience," because he tells her that he was in the funeral business, he's traveled the world. Um, and he goes, I, I don't really know how to talk to kids. And then the next scene shows him at a school and he's showing how to like cut somebody, somebody open yeah. on a child. <laughs> and they're all like, yay. And they're like, he passes the knife it. around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, take a look at this. <laughs> and it's, it's so damn funny. Yeah. That part that part was, was really funny. And as they're walking out, he's like, I really like this. I think I could be a teacher. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rob, what else do you have to add that, that made me have missed? Um, it, it just that it was, I mean, it was, it was enjoyable. Um, but the whole movie, I'm sitting there going, man, this is John Wick. This, this is like John Wick. I mean, as they put out a hit on a hitman, that's, 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 yeah. That kind of leads to my impression. We have seen this story a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. where the hitman wants to retire or the hitman sees something or the hitman refuses to do a hit and then they sell they send the like super team full of hitmen with cool nicknames and cool ways of killing to go after yep. the guy and he takes them all down one by one by one mm-hmm. well there everyone has their own little take on that kind of thing uh, like you know the who how they give the jobs to people or the rules of the the hitman or where their base is or how they get paid like they have the little like twists mm-hmm. like john wick mm-hmm. does yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, the hotel one that just came out that I didn't see. Hotel Artemis. Hotel Artemis. Yeah. yeah. The big hit. I mean, you could, we could all start just naming Hitman movies. Yeah. All of them have basically the same thing, just the time period and the weird little twists. But there, there's so many of those because they're, they're interesting. Oh, Leon the professional, mm-hmm. the best. Yeah. The, the super team of hit people that are sent after them are kind of shit. They're, they're stupid. Yeah. They're like yeah. young punks. Yeah. They're, they're just One's like. One's an addict. One's wasn't, like wasn't the Johnny Harley Quinn. It was, yeah, it certainly okay. was. There's a, and he he plays uh he plays another retiring assassin. 
if you're a fan of John Wick, if you've got Netflix and you've got a couple hours to kill, I definitely recommend that you watch Polar. Be aware it is pretty damn violent and you do not want your kids in the room. Well, Rob, I, I know you're going to talk about Kingdom Hearts, uh, so go ahead and try to segue from a hitman uh, to uh, well, Kingdom I, Hearts. I think I think right in between these two um, these two very violent and shitty topics, we're going to stick a little levity and go over a little bit of Kingdom Hearts three. Um, I've had the opportunity to play it. I haven't gotten terribly far in it. Um, it did just come out what last week. Now I'm I'm guessing out there it did come out last week, but I'm guessing that there's quite a few listeners that do not know what that is. Oh, well, Kingdom Hearts... Like me, for example, oh, up until recently. Shut up, yes. You, not um, until recently. Kingdom Hearts is a video game that's developed by Square Enix in conjunction with Disney, and it basically is a storyline involving like some Square Enix characters, and Square Enix is the company that's responsible for titles such as Final Fantasy, those, those type of RPG games and whatnot. So they developed this game with Disney and where... People with giant, stupid-looking swords. Yes. And where these characters... Um, They're called Keyblades, Greg. Yeah. The the characters have... They, they travel from world to world, and each world is basically its own, like, Disney movie. So, like, in the first one, which I really loved. I, I really enjoyed the first game. But you go to Alice in Wonderland's world. You go to Ariel's world, where it's, like, all underwater, and you swim around and everything. Um, that, so, so basically you just go to the different worlds and you have to do all these things to set things right because the worlds have been taken over by the heartless. And there's like this whole, there's like a 45 minute video on YouTube about the, the story of kingdom hearts up to this point. And it's gotten kind of convoluted because they've released so many titles and they've decided to make them all part of the story. So they're Oof. all essentially canon. Um, so there's this long convoluted story. Um, I've had the opportunity to sit down and play it for a little bit. I've beaten the first. I've beaten the first area, which is Olympus. In in this game, the first area is Olympus. You team up with Hercules. You fight the Titans. You fight. Uh, I don't think you fight Hades at the end of this one, though. No, you just fight the Titans, and then Hades goes off. Now this is Disney Hercules, correct? Yes, correct. Yep. Disney's Hercules. So my my first thoughts are one: the gameplay is is fairly much like i remember it's it's fun it's kind of hack and slash there is a little bit more to it um as i got further into the level i do like that they have tutorials that you have the option to take or not so i appreciate that as well because i hate forced tutorials the issue that i'm starting to have i i, I will i will go ahead and, and slam it a little bit here is that while the gameplay is fun I foresee a problem developing later on because there are so many different mechanics that work at different times. I see myself getting stuck at a certain part or fighting a certain boss or doing a certain thing because I don't remember to use a specific mechanic. But it it does seem it seems like there's a lot to do. They've got a lot of like side quests, which is something that all of these games are are famous for, you know, for all the, for all the Final completionists Fantasy, out there. Yeah. For all the completionists out there, they've got a lot mm -hmm. of stuff for you to spend hours, you know, doing and finishing up and all that stuff. So there's a lot of gameplay available. Um, like I said, it's, it's just the complex, the complexity of the fight system at certain points. I, I could see myself having trouble with it and forgetting that, Oh yeah, I can do this because there's already like six different things that I can do. I'm like, oh god, all right. 
Hey, Rob, is it yes. that are the mechanics that different from the previous ones, or has it been just such a long time that you you don't it's, have that muscle memory anymore? It's it's one. It's been such a long time, uh-huh. but two. It's also the the only one that I actually really played like all the. Well, no, that's not true because I did I did play two all the way through. I just never finished it. I got to like mm-hmm. the end and just quit playing. Right. Um. But I don't remember several of the mechanics. But like I said, there's been multiple games that I haven't played. I mean, there's probably like four or five games in the series. Um, but yeah. I've only played two of them. I played Kingdom Hearts and I played Kingdom Hearts 2. Okay. So so the the, fly, the the fighting sequences can get to be a little complex. But the other issue that I'm having, and these are really my only two knocks on the game so far. The other issue that I'm having is that there is so much exposition and dialogue. It's like mm. I'm watching a freaking movie. I'm like, come on. I just want to kill some heartless. The The whole first part of the game is you do something and then you have to watch a video for like 10 minutes. Yeah, it's like playing a Hideo Kojima game. And hey, then you yo. do something and you got to watch another video for like five minutes. And I swear to God, when I finished the first the first world, I swear to God, it was like a 20, 30 minute uh, movie mm. I'm Man. like, come on, what? And and I'm really, really tempted because you have the opportunity to skip, to the, skip. the cutscene. Yeah, you can yeah. skip the cutscene, but you lose out on the story that way. And I'm like, I'm like, all right, guys, we really need to find a better way to break this up because this mm-hmm. is ridiculous. I literally got bored sitting there watching this movie, and and I and I also find myself rolling my eyes at a lot of the dialogue. I'm like. Okay. Like Sora Sora says some of the dumbest things I think I've ever heard. And Sora's like, the main character, correct? Correct. Correct. Sora you is the main stupid character. pants and carries a giant stupid sword. But like It's called a keyblade, Greg. It's but, dumb looking. But like the j- just for an example of how they could really have cut this down is the characters will be talking about something. Sora will say something like he's 5 years old and pose. You know, they'll be talking about uh, something. They'll they'll be talking about something and Sora will be like, "Oh, I just pooped today." And he'll pose. And then there'll be a pause while everybody looks at him, and then everything will continue like nobody said anything. And I'm like, "Did we really need to have that in there? That was that was really really stupid." And that was like 30 seconds. I'm like, "Come on." I've always been so confused at what age range this game targeted. Yeah, because I've seen I, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Kingdom Hearts to me feels like one of those just because you can doesn't mean you should. So the the dialogue and the cutscenes are are my ugh, mm. they're my biggest problem with the game, right? But is the game fun other than that? Yes, when you're playing the game, the game is fun. If it does at times start to feel a little bit monotonous, and I'm and I'm gonna give you an update as I play more of it because a lot of it is just please do. Now that may that may change as I get to more difficult areas. So I'm not going to hold that against the game just yet because it's kind of warming you up and teaching you the mechanics. And I don't have a problem. With it. Uh, I'll give you an update later. So we are going from wholesome and sort of based in Florida to the complete opposite of that, but also kind of based in Florida, and that is the conversations with the killer Ted Bundy tapes from the uh, from Netflix. Of course, mm-hmm. everyone's been talking about this. Just a little bit of kind of background. I moved in. I moved to Florida in the late 80s okay oh wow so you were here for the circus so i was here for the circus but i didn't know anything about it like 
I vaguely remember when I heard the name Bundy, that's not who came into my head. I'm pretty sure Married with Children, when I, like, that name, I was like, huh? Yeah. But the thing with the thing with the whole deal, the first time I really remember hearing anything about it was I was listening to the morning show on Y100, which was uh, some someone in footy was, like, the morning show. It was the top 40 station down there, and they were... They played a song. It was based on Don't Worry, Be Happy. And it was called Don't Worry, Be Fryin'. And they sang it about Ted Bundy. And I was like, what is that about? And then when the song was over, they said, yep, they finally did it. He's finally dead. And they, I was like, huh? Like, and I thought it was, I was young, but I thought it was a little weird that they were talking about this guy frying. Mm-hmm. Because I, I don't know, just, it seemed not weird to me. And then, of course, I asked people where I found out more about who he was. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> do what you must. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Ted Bundy, serial killer. Parade on young women, mostly young brunettes with hair that parted in the middle. Uh, yeah, and and really the the first to be referred to as a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, born in on November twenty fourth, nineteen forty six, as we have here, died on January twenty fourth, nineteen eighty nine. So I lived in for- Florida for uh, just a little bit over a year. Mm-hmm. Guys, keep keep talking. I have to step away for a second. I smell smoke. I'll be right back. Oh, oh dear. Oh. All right. We're talking about frying Ted Bundy and Rob smells smoke. That's <laughs> that's my vivid description of the electric chair. I guess we'll just soldier on then. Hopefully yeah. everything's okay with Rob. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, they did a four-part documentary in which I guess there was – well, I guess there was a guy that interviewed Ted Bundy. And because Ted Bundy was a narcissist, like some people we know, uh, and he finally got himself talking and he just kept on talking and talking and talking and talking on this tape. Yeah. And uh, initially, you're talking about the interviewer was uh, Stephen G. Mitchell. Uh, and, and most of the tapes, the other voice that you hear aside from Ted Bundy is uh, Mr. Michaud. Um Hugh Ainsworth was his mentor and who uh, co-authored the book that they were doing this for. And as you said, um, Ted Bundy, he loved to talk and he loved to talk about himself. And when, you know, asked directly about the cases that he was involved with, Ted Bundy really deflected those questions and and not like very good. I, I think at this point, Ted Bundy, when he was being interviewed, he was on death row. Um, he was very tired. Um, he wasn't his, you know, explicitly in- eccentric and enthusiastic self. Um but he still really liked to talk about himself. He liked to talk about how normal his childhood was and how, you know, he might have been a little bit different. But, you know, um, you know, he went to school here and he didn't want to go to school there. And, the, you know, interview interviewers getting really frustrated with him. Um, mm-hmm. They they were writing this book to kind of expose Ted Bundy and uh, he wasn't giving anything up. He wasn't giving anything up until the interviewer posed the question, well, let's let's talk about this from a different perspective then. Now, theoretically, um, what is this person like? And Ted Bundy had a degree in psychology, so that kind of seemed to open up the floodgates. And Ted Bundy – If I did it kind of moment. Yeah, exactly. Like – Okay, well, I don't have to specifically say that I did it, but, but let's talk about – yeah, hypothetically, um, if one were to do this, this event were to happen in their life, and and this is why they would have done it, and, and et cetera, and so, and he just 
talk. There's a, over 100 hours of recorded conversation with him. Now, the thing I thought was very interesting about Ted Bunny, so some of the stuff I'm going to talk about here is about the show. Some of the stuff mm-hmm. is about just sure the, the situation. Yep. So he did a series From of Jersey Shore? Yes, the situation. Ah, okay. No. So he did a series of killings basically from Washington, California, Utah, Florida, Colorado, and Colorado, and very violent uh, sexually based killings. Mm -hmm. His childhood was mostly normal. Mostly. Now, they show his mom, and his mom looks like this sweet little old lady, and for the most part, if if you watch, like, like I said, many times on the show, I do a lot of true crime reading and stuff like that, most of the time the serial killers have either some sort of brain injury that causes something or they were they grew up in an abusive alcoholic home or some with some sort of abuse or a lot of times very religious families mm-hmm. he didn't really fit with all of these except for one little thing which might have thrown him off track where he was actually raised by his grandparents because his mother got pregnant young and not married so he's raised by his grandparents um his grandfather was a little abusive to the family as a whole Mm -hmm. they didn't get too much into it but it didn't seem like that was he didn't have the same reaction to that right however he did hate the fact that he was poor Mm -hmm. he did hate the fact that he was kind of a nobody and that drove him crazy it did drive him to be something more and he wanted to possess these these poor women and he met this this politician that he worked for and kind of started mimicking him except for the politician wasn't actually killing people but mimicking him down to his car mm-hmm. some of the way yep. he, he sure acted did. uh wanted to go to the like the same colleges and wanted to be a lawyer what like a lot of the stuff he was starting to mimic this guy because he was a he was a nobody yeah and in these tapes he talks about how people tried to find something in his past that you know, was was he abused? Was there something that triggered this? Um, now, there was an event in his life when he was younger that he found his birth certificate. And uh, in the, the section listed for the father, it was listed as unknown. And he right. really tried to he, – he was like, oh, no, that was fine. I didn't care. But that may have been something that really actually did set this off for him. You know, we'll we'll never know. But mm-hmm. uh, so his he went on his murder spree, and one of the things that's interesting though is that because of the way he talked, the way he looked, in some respects, I actually don't. There's a lot of talk about the way he looked, but I want to talk about that a little bit later. He got away with a lot of it. Like you see him in some of these videos joking around with the people that have him in jail. He was basically escaped twice. He they could have caught him dead to rights really early on, and they, they just kind of let him go. Mm-hmm. They had been looking for somebody named Ted. They mm-hmm. I forget exactly what happened, but he was caught for something else. Oh, he had a bunch of, like, murder tools in his <laughs> Yeah, ski mask and tape and rope and, like... And, like, and they caught... They they charged him with possession of burglary tools mm-hmm. um, while they were in the process of looking for someone that made two women disappear in a from a, like, lakeside beach. Like, yeah, it was Lake did, Sammamish, Washington State. Did you guys happen to catch the uh, the little blurb that they tossed in when they were looking for him? How how they had turned up, you know, they hadn't turned up anything, but they did they did confiscate two hundred pounds of marijuana. Yeah, did you catch yeah. that? 
I was yeah. like, what? Why it's is like, that wait, relevant? Huh? <laughs> well, we didn't find him, but we got this stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. what the hell? No one in the police station is going to have to deal with their glaucoma anymore. But anyway, nice. so there, there was that. Then he uh, he did he pulled some uh, great escapes, which is mm. some of them were crazy. Like somehow he thought of himself as like a criminal genius, and in some ways became one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he he what he starved himself so he could fit out fit through a a vent. Yeah. yeah, and that's the one I knew about. But the his escape previous to that from the court. Um, yeah, he jumped out of a window and second story story, and leading up to that he talked about how he would jump from his his bunk to strengthen his legs in jail leading up to that attempt and i didn't know about that one so and and there were a few things and you know we'll get into it as we we go on but there are a few things i i just that really kind of blew my mind about this case things that i didn't know Mm -hmm. when it comes to the murders like some of his murders were, were so famous that he became the reference point for some of the like horror movies that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Like for example, in silence of the lambs, they, the character, the Buffalo bill, he pretends like he's got a broken arm mm-hmm. and that yep. comes from the Ted Bundy thing. Yep. And he really got more violent, and more violent, but you know, he would, he eventually got to the point after being stuck in prison for a little while, when he finally made that escape, he basically went, full-on nuts he went into his frenzy mode which is kind of one of the terms that they'll use Mm -hmm. and broke into a sorority house Mm. and started bludgeoning people bludgeoning sorority girls with a piece of wood that he found like firewood um and that is eventually how he got caught because he went from that location to another location and kept going Mm -hmm. Uh, i was like he was on full-on frenzy like he, Uh he was completely nuts now, I think this might be the time where I will talk about where I had a problem with this. Okay. And I, I don't necessarily need uh, murder porn, you know, like bodies and corpses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I wanted that, I would just go into that freezer in Jimmy's garage. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have there. a garage, sir. We've all been there. Yeah, yeah. Good thing the chloroform doesn't work the way it's Shit. supposed to. Shut up. <laughs> People anyway. are listening. No, I don't need that, but you were hearing story after story after story of women saying, he's so cute, or who's cuter, Zac Efron, or this, or who is cuter, uh, they were comparing Ted Bundy and someone else, like, who's the cuter person? He was a violent animal, and I think they gloss over the murders a little bit, and I'm not sure, there's a very fine line on these things, on these type of shows where you walk, where you, you don't want people glorifying the deaths of others. Uh, especially when the people's families are still alive. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you also don't want to glorify the killer. Right. And I don't think, I don't think they glorified the killer too well. They kind of did. Yeah, they, they definitely did. And that's one of the problems I have with these types of shows. To me, this is, this is like having, um, teen moms, the, the show or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it only, it only encourages people to do that because they know they're going to become famous. And it's like that'd be a can you imagine that crossover show the Ted Bundy tapes meets the the Teen Teen Moms Moms. yeah but you know I mean it's that's that's my overall problem they do gloss over some of the murders to the point of where I was like some of them they skip some of them got lumped in there there was a pretty decent shot of all of the women that he murdered the pictures of them which I thought was was in that spot was good because you're like these are real people they're not numbers they're not just thirty or thirty two or whatever really was. I'm gonna I'm gonna say to uh, be fair to the documentary and the producers of it, 
this was about the tapes. This yeah. was about the interview with Ted Bundy, um, not the specific cases. I mean, they could have spent two hours on each case. But I do agree with you in uh, – let me see if I'm, I'm saying this correctly. It really didn't humanize any of his victims. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, Except they, for the one that survived. Uh, right. Um, and they even, to a certain extent, um, if she wasn't in there, it may have dehumanized her because his um, his defense team, they really tore her apart on the stand. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a th- man, defense lawyers. Uh, I, I guess there's, there's a purpose. Did not like that woman. There's, there's a reason that they're there. I guess everybody deserves to be defended. But when this many year, what he, in 1989, he was put to death and we're talking about, you know, 30 years later and these fucking defense attorneys are still like, well, he wasn't competent and blah, blah, blah. He was a fucking psychopath, serial killer, murderer, rapist, necrophile. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care if you defended him 30 years ago and you I had to make I a case to defend him. I don't care if he's competent. Yeah. I don't give a crap if he's competent to stand trial. But they're like, oh, well, he, you know, blah, blah. They, and they're like, oh, we had such a hard time with him. He was so, you know... He was such an egomaniac and blah, 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 blah. He, he admitted to involvement in at least 30 of the murders. Like, it's okay. He's dead. It was 30 years ago. You can admit your client was fucking guilty. That's the thing that I don't understand that mindset. I'll get off my high horse now. Somebody now, else, well, please One stop. of the things that this did, this did take me down the path of is, of course, the big thing is why are women attracted to serial killers? Because he, during his trial for murder, uh, brutal murder he, of thirty women. <laughs> well, he was only on trial for the, the murder of two at that time, right? Correct. But he brought up someone he knew from Washington, and as like a she character a, witness, yeah, she's a murder groupie. Well, she was a character witness, mm-hmm. and they, she did not think that he did it, and then he actually asked her to marry him, and they did get married. Basically on the stand while he on was... the stand. Yeah. yeah. Which is crazy. And the one thing I thought was interesting because they, they briefly mentioned that they got divorced in like 86. And I don't know if you like, so I was like, okay, well they don't, that's all they say is they got divorced in 86 and that they don't. And then she kind of disappeared like into what she went back to Washington and kind of went away. Mm-hmm. But the thing I thought was interesting is the reason for divorce was not that he was a murderer, but that he lied to her about it. And I'm like, Oh, so really? when he confessed, she he was confessed. like, <gasps> how dare you? Yeah, you? yeah. Like you didn't think to question this dude when you got pregnant by him and you married him. That was or, never a or thought. Or you were smuggling mind. drugs in for your, through your vagina for him. Yep. Was that actually true? Yes. They said it in the, in the yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, I missed that she, part. He, was, he smuggled them in, in, in her vagina and he smuggled them back to his cell in his anus. Yep. So Doesn't drugs and alcohol. Sanitary at all he even told the interviewer he was like wait till she comes next time i'll bring down some good reefer for you some butt reefer <laughs> wow <laughs> butt booze there, there's another title for another you title. Butt, yeah, reefer. butt reefer <laughs> <laughs> so anyway and i i did kind of do a little bit of research on like why women fall for serial killers and like so just just as a guess why do you think that people think that 
women will follow serial killers. I'm guessing that everything that you guys say will be correct in some way. I, I will also say that she's not the only one. Because during no. during the trial, the lawyer kept getting handed notes from yep. from prospective groupies or whatever that were like, can you give this to Ted? Can you give this to Ted? They said that almost every serial killer has had this happen. Oh, yeah. So the ones that were theoretically... Richard good, Ramirez. Good Ramirez Richard Ramirez, uh, whose teeth were, were rotted out of his head. Yeah. Um, uh, Manson. I was thinking, no, there's the other one. Um, Gacy? Not, not Ga- they're Gacy, Definitely but not uh, Gacy. who's the other one? He's got the Jewish last name. Uh oh, um, Horowitz, nah. son of Sam. Yeah, that him. Uh, so all every single one of them has had some sort of groupie that they had to somehow remove from a trial or do something like that because they were like wanting to be with them. So they did. They have have done studies with this. Um, it's Berkowitz, David Berkowitz. Ber- I'm Berkowitz, sorry. that's what it was. Yeah. So uh, you guys didn't answer, but um, the the most people think it's like, well, women like the bad guy. Like that's. I the, don't know, man. I'm. I'm curious as to what your, your research was. I don't even want to go so, there. It's actually, there's multiple reasons and it, it's different on a case by case basis. So the, the women like the bad guy thing is one of the options. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things that is the more immature material, uh, females. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'll, I'm joking here, but like the, the, the girls whose, whose dad never hugged them, you know, like that right. kind of, that kind of girl. So that is one of them. Um, there is a neurotrans, there is a, attraction to deviance in some people it causes people to release um the neurotransmitter norepinephrine which does cause arousal and attention so like if you see someone you know if you're with a guy and all of a sudden he's like shoplifts you actually become more attracted to them uh this happens to guys and girls obviously uh there's a thing called hybristophilia which is kind of similar to that attraction to deviance and it's just that's what it is um that's the actual name of it Mm -hmm. uh there's of course the feeling that maybe i can change him or I'm the one he doesn't want to murder. Um, which really a, kind of like a maternal instinct. Yeah, I can I can change him. Like I just want he's to just misunderstood. Care. He had a bad childhood, you know. The or same he's type. or he's the ultimate alpha. Yeah, yep, that's a, mm. that's another one. Uh, mental yeah. ins- the people who have mental instability. They want to be killers themselves. Uh, of course, they have the safe and seeking a safe and controllable relationship because you know what this person is now in jail, so they can't really do anything. Uh, feeling of being special. That's kind of the same thing. Um, of course, there are people that just want the attention. Fame you know, seekers, yep. So there's, I'm, you know, bad attention is still attention. You know, you see, you see people doing stupid stuff on YouTube every day. Um, and of course, there's the idea, well, maybe it's just financial and it gets carried away. And then there's people that are just fascinated. I mean, serial killings are fascinating. Serial killers are fascinating. That's why true crime yeah. is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really interesting. It's a, a really interesting article. I, this article is on A&E, but there was, I went into some more more high-end psychology today type of articles that I had a little bit access to. And those were not really, they were interesting, but they were definitely not podcast interesting, but it's just crazy. And, you know, even in this thing, so many years later, people were still talking about how, you know, he was attractive. He was so, so well-spoken. The the judge was like, if you didn't become a killer, you would have been a great lawyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he even said, I'd, I'd have loved to have you on my team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, there, there is a moment in the trial, and I have to say, he, he, I didn't know that he was allowed to cross, cross examine the wit, uh, witnesses. Mm-hmm. Or, um, and there's a, a scene in there where he's cross examining the first responding officer to the sorority killings. Yeah. And he just keeps asking the guy to Tell explain us in full detail, graphic detail. 
and the you know prosecuting team stands up and says, "Your Honor, this is redundant questioning. He's already asked that." And the judge says something like, "Okay, ask it differently," or or something. And then Ted Bundy goes, "What well, what was the position of her arms?" And the judge just goes, he, he, "He's basically like, sit down, you're done." And Ted Bundy just kind of grabs his papers off the table and kind of does that little stacking thing. And he, he kind of looks around. And he's really embarrassed. And then he kind of goes back to his seat. Uh, that, I mean, that's a, he just wanted to hear the you know result of his crimes repeated back to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, this does end uh, at the end of four, episode four with his execution in Old Sparky, the electric mm-hmm. chair up uh, near Gainesville, actually, in Stark Prison or Florida State Prison in Stark. And it was crazy up there. Uh, yeah. You know, there so, was people celebrating. There were signs. They were chasing after the hearse. Do you – did you see any of that? Did, were there people, like, on the sides of the road? Like, were there – It wasn't that – well, I was really far were away. Were bars packed? Yeah. Okay. We, we were three – we were three and a half hours away. Well, I was going to um, say, like, were bars packed or, like, did uh, people take off work? Well, no, because it was, like, first thing in the morning, so I don't think bars were packed. Yeah, it was, it was early. Yeah, people um, were getting hammered at his... <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I vaguely remember the day, but, I mean, that was that was before Greg and I were even in high school. So, I, it it's not... But it, but I remember that it happened I remember where I was standing early. when I heard about it. I was, I was just standing in front of uh, one of our other listeners' house, actually. I think I was being brought to school or something. So, standing on, like, when, you know how down where we live, Rob, they have, like, mm-hmm. the little grass swales, mm-hmm. you know? And I was standing there on one of the smaller ones and i heard it and they were on the radio that's why i told you i heard that song and i heard that and i was like who yeah um but it was a big deal and you know little little did they know right around that time there's going to be another serial killer kind of right in that area um which is you know inevitably we're going to hear that story somewhere on some sort of true crime thing but you know it was uh it was crazy how pe- bloodthirsty and angry people were about this this particular killer he inspired his, such hatred and on the other side oddly fast fascination and love it's very weird it is yeah it's a very and, strange case and they pointed out something that i actually didn't didn't know i mean not that mm-hmm. it's any kind of an excuse but but they didn't they didn't uh diagnose him as a as bipolar until like right before he died yeah it was manic depressive um he and, he... and looking back on it as they're describing everything I'm like, yeah, okay. I see, I see, I see the the swings now. I see the swings in his mood where he's mm-hmm. manic, which is when he was defending himself, thinking he could do whatever, do whatever, just because you know he felt great and he could do it. And then the the depressive parts were the ones where he was like out killing. Yeah, early in the documentary, he talks he's talking to the interviewer about um, going through this really depressed state after a, a breakup, and that he just doesn't remember the rest of the summer. Mm-hmm. Where I I believe his first crimes uh, took place, so he he dodges that one, he deflects it. But I just don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember what I did for the rest of the summer. Kind of deal. Um, if if there were any, I mean, it's hard to say, but if there was anything good that came out of this, um, you know, before the internet, um, these these uh, departments didn't communicate with each other. They didn't talk to each other. I, you know, King County in, in, in Washington, they didn't talk to the next county over mm-hmm. where another murder occurred that was very similar. Um, that, you know, he this. Could, he could escape and make it all the way across the country. He could they go to Florida. Mention, they didn't People, even mention it, but he actually went to Michigan. 
for on his mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. and like was in such a crazed state he was watching a michigan football game in a bar and like got kicked out because he started and, a fight with somebody and unless unless yeah. i missed something which is entirely possible but the first time that he was that he was con- or when he was convicted it was it was largely based upon science that we've de- that we've determined is garbage now because yeah, that, the, the, the bite marks mm-hmm. and he was convicted based on the bite marks. And it's like today that might not have been enough to have actually sent him to, to, to prison. No, that, that argument really kind of pushed the jury towards a, a guilty verdict. Um, the, the other kind of good thing that came about this was um, a center was uh, established to uh, start profiling these these people to create profiles of these killers so um you know there's a a a little bit of a silver lining maybe like an aluminum lining but also to to that point of fact the the detective i think it was had a great point he was like and these profiles are great and all but they don't help us catch anybody because the the profiles are largely at the end, when you're like, when you catch the guy, it's like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, he kind of fits in that profile. That's great. You know, we had an idea, but, you know, this this is what he might act like or might look like. But, you know, that didn't really help us catch anybody that didn't give us any extra leads or anything. And and that's what he was that's that's what he was saying. He was like the FBI was just saying, oh, you know, this is maybe what you're looking for. And at the end, you know, we had to we had that to compare it to. But he said it didn't help us catch anybody. What would you say, guys, uh, since we are we do technically review stuff on this show, would you suggest people watch this documentary? I from a perspective of somebody who um, is is fascinated by true crime, you know, I've I've talked about it before. I am fascinated by the criminal mind. I watch prison documentaries. Um, if if you start this, you're not going to want to stop it. Um, it is four episodes ranging from 45 minutes to an hour and 10 or 11 minutes or something like that. Um, I, I would, I would suggest watching it. There's, uh, uh, the, the explanations of the crimes are really graphic at times. So it, it may be a little disturbing. Um, but if you're curious at all about that subject, then, you know, check it out. And Rob, I'm, I'm torn because I, I think I've actually mentioned it on on the show previously um in in fact i mentioned it tonight but i'm torn in that i don't like promoting anything that gives people who do bad things notoriety and i really i really feel like that's kind of what this does and i really feel like say your name at the beginning of every one of our shows i know and I, and I really feel like that's kind of what the book that the that the ted bundy tapes were were intended to be used for i really feel like that's what it was i mean it it was all about notoriety for ted bundy um and i really have a hard time with with us as a society promoting that and pushing that forward so that we get his name out there so that every because i mean even today i know that there are people who there are even young people who weren't alive then who know who ted bundy was and and they shouldn't that's not something that people should know or learn about or strive towards in some cases um because inevitably it spawns copycats it spawns people who try to emulate that um there are psychotic people everywhere they don't need any friggin' help 
Or they do need help. They just don't need yeah, direction. Sure. They need different yeah. type of help. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, I, I really have a problem recommending it. Um, it, it was informative, but I, I don't know that I would recommend it to anybody. And I'm kind of disappointed that something like this actually got made. Mm. Um, I'd like to see it more anonymous. If there were a way that you could do it so that Ted Bundy never had his name out there and it was all just kind of more analytical and was like, oh, this criminal mind, blah, 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 blah. I mean, people might be able to look it up and find out who it was, but it wouldn't be something that was like, oh, Ted Bundy this, oh, Ted Bundy that, the Ted Bundy tapes. Oh, let's look at Ted Bundy. Let's do this with Ted Bundy. Well, like, as as a narcissist, he would have loved the fact that everyone is talking about it. Exactly. Him. I mean, if you look at trending on Google. And that's a sh- and that's a shame. If you type in searches, you like Ted Bundy's first, it'll say victim. Like if you look up, if you type like T-E, it's going to go to Ted Bundy. Like I was able to do this research because some of these articles were new or websites were saying, oh, we wrote this article in 2007 and they pushed it back up, yeah. you know? And that's a shame. Yeah. So the the documentary is made by a guy named Joe Berlinger, who also did a another crime documentary uh, called uh, Paradise Lost. He also did the Metallica documentary as well. Some kind of monster. He but... also directed the Zac Efron movie. Oh, okay. He did that. He is very, he's good at what he does. Um, so it is a, a well put together documentary. Um, if you like true crime um, and you have no soul, uh, then definitely uh, watch it. I was, well, I was fascinated. Also, um, I mean, if you're a sensible person, you're, you're not going to watch it and go, Hey, I want to go out and emulate this guy. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of watched it and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm burying this one. This dude was crazy, well, and yeah, but I, I'm still against the idea of giving him notoriety for the horrible things that he did. Gotcha. I understand that. Like you know the name of the killers, you don't know the name of the victims in most cases. That's right. That's the problem. And that brings us to our give me five questions of the week. Did you because say questions? We we are doing something a little different this week, and it's partially for a reason mm-hmm. because Rob found a soul. So we have to change things up a little bit. But you guys out there listening are beneficiaries of this because you are going to get three questions for the – well, we don't charge you. But for the price of one, I guess. Wait, so, what the hell do you mean Rob found a soul? <laughs> what are you <laughs> talking about? <laughs> well, you're not a big fan of, of uh, true crime books and documentaries. So you were unable to answer that question because you, you have a soul. Are you, are you insinuating that people who like true crime don't have souls? I'm insinuating that I don't. I don't either. Well, we know that, but it has nothing to do with true crime. Yeah. I sold mine. Yeah. A lot of good that's done me. For some <laughs> Skittles. Yep. And a chance to be on a podcast with us. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think we're going to do this a little different. We're going to do three questions this time relating to true crime based on the, the Bundy story that we just talked about. Yep. And mm-hmm. even though Jimmy usually goes first, I think Rob's question is going to be the one that kind of makes more sense being first. Rob, what are the best movies based on serial killers or true crime? And Jimmy and myself can answer as well if we feel like it. So sure. best movies based on serial killers or true crime, that kind of story. Okay. Well, there's there's quite a few out there, actually. Um, oh, yeah. Some some really notable ones that I actually didn't put on my list, but they're, um, at least one of them is really good. Uh, Zodiac, um, mm-hmm. about the uh, serial killer in San Francisco, the Zodiac Killer. Uh, Summer of Sam. About obviously the the son of Sam uh, Berkowitz, um, 
but those those I actually didn't didn't put on my list, and I'm slightly ashamed because my list is my list is going to start with a Shia LaBeouf movie. Um, I know, I know. But at number five, this is what happens. This is what happens when you keep your soul. Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That is incorrect, (laughs) sir. Okay, it is a crime though. Yeah, that movie definitely was a crime. Um, At number five, I'm going to put Lawless. It's uh, it's a movie about the Bondurant boys in in the South during Prohibition when moonshining was all the rage. Mm. It's it's actually a very enjoyable movie, and Tom Hardy is fantastic in that. Oh, really Tom Hardy, like, you say? Yes, I'm, I'm gonna really have to like watch Tom it. Hardy in that movie. He plays Forrest Bondurant. He plays the older brother. Um, but it's 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 really really enjoyable. I liked it a lot, despite Shia LaBeouf being in it. At number four. I'm going to put one that was slightly interesting as to how he got away with it. It's more of a con, but there is a lot of criminal activity going on, and that's going to be Catch Me If You Can, the story of uh, Frank uh, Abagnale Jr. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but it's Frank Abagnale Jr., and it's it's about a young kid, actually, who posed as, like, all kinds of different jobs and got paid to do it. I mean, he was, he posed as a surgeon. He posed as an airline pilot. It's like, how did he get in the cockpit? What is going on? I don't understand. Uh, All before his 18th birthday. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's about the, and and then the FBI agent who, who tracked him down and brought him to justice. Basically my number three is going to be one that is an absolutely mesmerizing performance by Charlize Theron. And that is monster, uh, monster, and it is yep. it is about the I believe it's the first female serial killer, Eileen Warneros. War- well, one could say that Bathory was actually the first, but okay, but it that term didn't exist. So the first American female serial killer is okay. the, the okay. term that people use. But you know, yes. as you boil things down, it, you can start adding titles onto things to make everyone be the first of something. Yeah, but you but we'll go with that. Anyway, Charlize Theron is absolutely phenomenal in that movie. Mm-hmm. And I used to work. I used, the exit that they use in like that movie for like one of the shots is in Orlando, mm-hmm. like the truck exit. And I used to have to drive oh, really? on that exit every day. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit south, but it's the one where like you see the it's like the turnpike to five twenty eight or something exit. I don't know. It's like a it's a oh. weird exit, but you see her standing there, and I'm like, oh my god! Like I used to drive on that. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the exits where she picked up somebody and uh, shot them. Anyway, go on. Okay. At number two is, you you know there had to be some mafia movies in here, but at number two is going to be an absolute classic, Goodfellas. And this mm-hmm. is, it's the story of Henry Hill and his rise through the ranks. But my number one, and I love this movie forever, and I I know it's very likely not factually accurate. Okay, hold on. But, uh, we're going to take a guess here. Is it the, the story of two plucky teens? And their desire to get one of their girlfriends a recording contract? No, it's Bill and Ted. Oh, okay. Not Wayne's World. Okay. It is not Wayne's World. No, it's Bill and Ted. Damn. Damn. It's Bill and Ted. It is not Bill and Ted. I did not think so. <laughs> But it is a fantastic movie, and it's one of the few movies that that Kevin Costner was actually really good at. The Untouchables? The Untouchables. That is correct, sir. Very good. I, I absolutely love that movie. It was... Just and and everybody talks about it, but I, I and I know it's probably overrated. But the staircase scene—that's mm-hmm. that's one of the big scenes from the movie. 
with the baby stroller going slowly. Yeah. All that, yeah. But but without question, my favorite character in that movie is Sean Connery. Malloy. Yep. The Irish cop. I'm kind of interested to hear what uh, what Jimmy's got. Just, you know, a quick rundown as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a quick one here. I had a what little got, time. Uh, sure. I have as my number five, because I had to, and it's a very loosely based on, uh, that is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah. Very loosely, loosely based <laughs> Ed on. Gein. Ed, Ed Gein. Correct. Yeah. Uh, number four, a movie that also made your list is Catch Me If You Can. Mm-hmm. Same number, same position too. Mm-hmm. Number three is a little different, and uh, this is a movie that I was really unaware of, and I'm very glad to have seen it. It is the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, star- starring Casey Affleck and Brad Pitt. Uh, Brad Pitt as Jesse James. It's a fantastic movie. Uh, if you haven't that seen it, came, didn't that come out like right when we started doing the show? Because I thought we almost covered it, but mm, I don't... no, we almost covered it because I had like a fascination with it at the time. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, my number two is a movie also starring Tom Hardy, and it is an absolutely epic performance. Um, it really shows the guy's just versatility, and that movie is Bronson. Mm-hmm. And my number one, this one also made your list, that is Goodfellas, my yep. favorite mafia film of all time. Hmm. Interesting. I'll, I'll, I can do mine real quick because I, I did I did figure it out. Um Number five, I, it's great, and it's so hard to watch that I'll never watch it again, but uh, Boys Don't Cry was number five. Ooh, Hillary Swank, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was so hard to watch, but I think it was important to watch. Um, that's number five. Number four, Monster, so again, same thing. Uh, also hard to watch. Uh, number three, Goodfellas. Took me a while to get into Goodfellas. I was not a big Mafia movie fan because so, they were like, so over the top that I took me a while to like get into them. Yeah, it's, it's Goodfellas and Casino for me. Yeah. Everything else, meh. Uh, well, Godfather, at least some of them. Actually, uh, that, here's an interesting story, Jimmy, that, that's worthy of the show. The dude from, okay. from Casino um, that got blown up in the Cadillac, mm-hmm. um, he was one of, the real guy was one of my Blockbuster customers. No and way. He sur- huh. And he survived because his particular Cadillac was had a special metal plate. I think it had a single metal plate across the bottom of the seats. Instead Just of multiple metal plates, so it didn't blow for up. For that reason? Yeah, and it was like that one Jesus. version of the car. That's the only way he survived. That's but, insane, man. But he came in, and he actually rented Casino from me when it came out. So like I rented every week? No, like the first week. And I didn't know who he was, because I had not seen it yet. So he rented it from mm-hmm. me, and one of my, I think it was my general manager was there. He was like whispering to me, he's like, that's the guy. And I had no idea what he was talking about. He's like, no, that's the guy. So he rented. He was very polite. He he left. He's like, no, that's the guy from the movie. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. So I waived his late fees, and uh, now <laughs> I, I don't know what what happened there. But anyway, uh, that was when when you went by a different name. Yeah, yeah. Before I was put in the FBI, but yeah, he was one of. The, I think he was one of the people that turned evidence and went. He's fine now, but whatever. Uh, number two, from hell. I'm fascinated with the Jack the Ripper uh-huh. case and the fact that it is mm. not solved. And I love Alan Moore, even though he hates that movie. And I, I think it's a great movie, and I watch it around Halloween every year. And number one is Zodiac, which Rob mentioned. Uh, did not like that one as much at first, but I've, I ended up seeing it two or three times. I read a little bit more about what the director uh, David Fincher had was planning and what his thought process behind it was, and it actually mm-hmm. made the movie grow on me quite a bit. So that ended up my number one. Since we promised you guys three questions, and not everyone's going to be answering all the questions, but uh, Jimmy, 
Yep. What did you determine were the most intriguing unsolved crimes out there? So I've got a few. I tried to vary it up a little bit. Um, tried to throw in some variety. So my number five is the Gardner Museum heist. In 1990, 13 priceless paintings were stolen from the Gardner Museum. And to this day, there's a $10 million reward. Uh, works of art by the likes of Vermeer, Rembrandt, and Manet were among the 13 stolen. In broad daylight. And yet, here we are, recording a podcast and not out searching for priceless artwork. I know, right? Maybe we should make a podcast about finding the people who did that. That'd be awesome. Excellent. Like we, can we interview, like, lots of, like, French detectives? I can speak with a French accent. Excellent. Good. Done. No. Done. You can't. <laughs> number four is the hijacking of flight number 305. Uh, the man that media outlets... Uh, Dubbed D.B. Cooper, uh, demanded $200,000 in negotiable American currency, four parachutes, and a fuel truck in Seattle where the plane landed to refuel. He directed the pilots back to, uh, to fly towards Mexico and then jumped out of the plane. Um, a lot of people say that there's no way he survived the jump, but his remains were never recovered. So the case remains unsolved. Yeah, it's either the like coolest, weirdest unsolved case out there, or it's the most intricate way to feed a bear somewhere in the mountains. Yeah, or there's some old dude in Mexico with like probably not that much money left, but he's just like, <laughs> uh, that's what he does. So number three is the Zodiac Killer. So the still unidentified killer that infamously used code, coded messages to toy with police and news outlets. He claimed responsibility for 37 murders. The case remains unsolved. Number two is the murder of Elizabeth Short, also known as the Black Dahlia murder. Uh, she was found on January 15th, 1947. And due to the graphic nature of her murder, um, the graphic nature of the discovery it is still one of the most infamous unsolved murders in the United States. Yeah, they, they found her uh, in half. And a lot of other things. It was yeah. very grisly, very gruesome. Um, there is a current TV show running right now mm -hmm. on uh, TNC about that. But it's what's interesting is it's a true story, but it's not really about her. It's about It's about a girl who goes to LA and it's true. It's all true. It's a woman mm -hmm. who goes to LA and is, is told that her father is uh, there. Like she was, she was raised in, I think Louisiana or something, but no, sorry, Nevada. She was raised in Nevada. She goes to LA to find this person who's her father. But when she goes searching for him, they're, they're like, Oh, this person's very dangerous. You don't want to find him. And, he was at the time that she was searching for him. He was the prime suspect in the Elizabeth short murder. Mm. Um, and he was a doctor and they think that a doctor did it because of the, the precision of some of the slices and stuff. Yeah. The very neat, mm -hmm. uh, tucking away of things and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very good. I started watching it. It's only up to episode three. Okay. Uh, let's see if I can find it real quick. Yeah. You find that. And my uh, number I am one, the night. it's called, I am the night. Okay, and it's it's got Chris Pine in it as like the the oh, guy who's kind of helping her. So that's what that's about. Okay, yeah, I'll have to check it out. 
my number one unsolved case. Greg, you touched upon it earlier. Can you guess what that might be? Uh, uh, that would be Jack the Ripper. That is Jack the Ripper. Uh, Jack the Ripper, the entity known as Jack the Ripper, terrorized the Whitechapel area of London in 1888. In addition to the 11 murders there, Jack the Ripper was linked to numerous other murders in the surrounding areas. Uh, it is a fascinating, uh, fascinating case um, in Delray Beach here. We actually have the Blue Anchor, which features the original facade of the uh, bar that um, in London that Jack the Ripper actually abducted a few of his victims from. So a weird little tie-in. I've actually been there. Um, I thought it so was that's, five victims. I In my research, I read 11 in the Whitechapel area. Um, so there's five that were definitely him. Yeah. There, there's speculation of copycat killings that happened around the time. And it looks like nobody's ever going to know the answer to that. No one's going to ever know who did it because things were very primitive back then. And that's what makes it, I mean, obviously it's horrible, but what makes it so fascinating is that no one will ever know. Yep. And that's my list. Excellent. Thank you. So that leads us to our last question here. I was going to say, I I put together a quick one for that. as well. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go on with it, Rob. Did, did you have one, Greg? I did not. For that one? No. Oh, okay. So my um, intriguing unsolved crime is why I don't have a list. Yeah. Um, but I'll uh, I'll start. And the... Actually, I got an arrested... unsolved crime. Who the hell's dog is pooping in my yard? That's Son an unsolved crime. Bitch. And when I find them, there's going to be another unsolved crime. Um, I'd, I'd, like to do, I'd like to do one that I think every kid knows about, and that's Jimmy Hoffa. But I think I'm going to bum Jimmy Hoffa. Since they don't really have any, you know, I mean, everybody knows he died. I, uh, I, that almost made my list. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm going to throw one that they, that they actually arrested somebody for extortion, but they never had any proof that, that the person actually did it. Um, do you guys remember the, the Tylenol scare in 82? Yep. Jimmy, you probably don't remember that, but in, I have read about it in September of 1982, um, in, in a fairly localized area, there were some people who had taken Tylenol that was laced with cyanide. And I think it ended up killing like seven people. Was it seven people? Something like that? Yeah, something like that. I don't remember exactly, but it led to a massive recall. Massive obviously. recall of Tylenol. Um, but it was only ever localized in that one area. And then it, and then of course there were, it spawned some copycats and whatnot, but, but yeah, so I'll start with, uh, Tylenol. At uh, number four, I'll put just because I liked it and it was, I, you know, I liked the style. Um, the Axeman of New Orleans never Ooh. actually, never actually solved. But I mean, who's who's got the chutzpah to to put out a memo to the city of New Orleans saying, "Hey, I'm coming out Tuesday, and if you're not playing jazz in your house, I'm gonna kill you." <laughs> it's like Jesus. what? <laughs> <laughs> told people when he was going to be out prowling and if they weren't in full swing with their jazz he was going to pay him a visit and i learned about that i think i don't know if you said this i did step away from the microphone and earphones for a while but that i learned about this the first time from uh american horror story mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep for my number three i'll go ahead and do the black dahlia absolutely vicious this mm-hmm. is where jimmy and my list kind of coincide because yep. at, at number three, I've got the Black Dolly. At number two, I've got Zodiac. And then, of course, number one is Jack the Ripper. Mm. Nice. There you go. And that piece of shit who lets their dog poop in my yard. Son of a bitch. Okay. 
My time. Your time. So, so true crime books, documentaries, those are huge right now. They've always been very popular. They have a big following, actually a big following by uh, women, oddly enough. And I'm going to go ahead and give you guys mine. This could be looked at as a primer, like to if you want to get into it, just kind of a way to do so. But um, number five, and I'm not going to have to say too much about this because I've talked about it twice already, but I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, the Golden State Killer. One of the few killers that actually kind of scared me. Yeah, and that's that's interesting that um, that, that comes up. He is currently being tried um, right now when when it, when he was actually caught uh, my girlfriend and I were watching you know that that series that came out recently it was called like finding the golden state killer or something like mm-hmm. that and she I had asked her one time I said what is the most in- intriguing case to you um, I actually said who's your favorite serial killer and she thought I was fucking insane um, so <laughs> thank you for still being with me but she was absolutely fascinated by that. And I can remember the day that they caught him and that book in particular, Patton Oswalt was on a late night talk show when he found out. And, uh, mm-hmm. so Michelle McNamara who wrote the book was Patton Oswalt's wife. She died in the process of writing the book partially because she had, she was so obsessed with trying to figure out who it was that she didn't really sleep. She did get, she did take a mixture of opioids and she ended up passing away. When he was doing a book tour, he was on he was on stage with someone pretty famous. I mean, he's famous anyway, but and that's when they announced that he got caught. And now in the book, they do mention a little bit. So Jillian Flynn kind of finished the book. She's the writer of uh, what, the Girl on the Train, Gone Girl, and, and Gone Girl. Yeah, mm-hmm. so she kind of finished the book, and she announced they do kind of put a thing in there that the police kind of said the book didn't really have much to do with it, but because of her interest and the group of people she worked with, they did reopen the case. And they did end up finding him through like 23andMe or something along those lines because they found relatives of him and they were able to track it back. Um, but he is terrifying because he's another one of those. He killed like husbands and wives and he would just stay in their house waiting for them. And it was just ter- it was a terrifying story. So that's uh, number five. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with Jinx. And it's kind of for the same reason for as I'm Be Gone in the Dark, but it's the Robert Durst story. I've. Not entirely sure the whole thing, but I think he actually, like, he was accused of killing his first wife in the 80s, and then killed a a family friend of his, and then killed, I guess allegedly killed, because the trial hasn't happened yet, and then killed a a neighbor. Um, But the weird thing about this was, is he hired people to do this documentary on him. And in the process of them doing a documentary to prove his innocence, it became very clear that he wasn't so innocent. Now, the weird thing was they kind of knew what was going on, but he actually was going on an angry rant in a bathroom like while he was recording, and he didn't realize his mic was still alive. So he actually confessed on the episode at the very end. He's like, yeah, I killed all of them. And yes, by the way, big spoiler alert there. And the same night that the last episode of this mini series ran, they arrested him in 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 Louisiana. Which I think is crazy. Um, so that one is uh, number four, Jinx. It's available on HBO. Uh, number three is a tough one, and I mentioned it earlier, but Paradise Lost. And it's the uh, Robin Hood Hills murders, West Memphis Three murders. Basically, some Boy Scouts were killed. That's why it's tough. It involves kids. So it's a little hard. Uh, three guy, three metalheads or metal fans or Wiccans or whatever were arrested. 
and put in prison. They ended up being in prison for 17 years. And I was very wor- like torn about this one because I was like, well, if they did do it, there's all these people trying to get them free, that kind of stuff. I was a little concerned. But when the evidence all added up, there's no way they did it. So they eventually did get out. But so it's a three part. It's a th- three movies. And the third one, they actually finally get out of prison for this. No one knows who actually did it. There's a lot of ideas as to who did it, but it's, it would be very, no one would really convict them except for it was a small little, you know, podunk town in Arkansas and they saw dudes with long hair and Metallica t-shirts. So they basically said, oh, they were clearly the killers. Look at them satanic devil sons of bitches. They must have done it. It kind of led to the, the satanic panic. There was a guy that was like one of those people that kind of pretended to be a police officer. And he was like, oh, no, I'm a he basically claimed to be a uh, a, he that he studied the occult and he could tell that it was these kids definitely did it. Like they painted these kids as if they were best friends forever. And like like one of them didn't even really know them. He was just like a simple guy. And the other dude kind of just sort of was nice to him because no one else was. So it it was like it was a big mess. And sadly, I don't think we'll know who did that either. Uh, number two is actually one of my favorite books of all time, but I don't. But it is still falling at number two because I'm trying to, you know, be a little, uh, what word am I looking for? Just because it's my favorite book, I'm not sure if it's the best true crime book, but that is Devil in the White City uh, by Eric Larson. It is basically the story of the 1893 World's Fair, which H.H. H. Holmes and his murder castle uh, and Daniel Bur- Daniel uh, Burnham, who was actually making the World's Fair. And it was kind of how their stories kind of intertwined. And how H.H. Uh, H. Holmes, you know, was doing some bad things with all of the people that were coming to Chicago. That's number two. And number one is really the one that started it all in the true crime world. Well, other than Truman Capote's book. But uh, Helter Skelter is the first true crime book I ever read. I read it in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, it basically told the story of uh, Charles Manson and the Manson family, one of which I think just got paroled. And... um the uh, it was written by Vincent Bugliosi, who is the um, prosecuting attorney, and it talked about how they found him, how they caught him, the murders, everything, and it's uh, it's a fascinating account, and it it in some ways did give Manson an otherworldly feel about how like talking about how his face would change when he was talking about certain things and how he was kind of like snake like at times and how they arrested him and stuff like that, but it was it was fascinating and it got into the legal side of things, so it really covered psychology, legal problems, and the crime side. So Helter Skelter, 1974. I did put together a, a quick list myself without explanation. So I'll just kind of rapid fire through it. Uh, I do want to, I, I did want to add that Leslie, Leslie Van Houten, member of the Manson family was recommended for parole. And the uh, governor um, has 150 days to uh, make his ruling on it. So I guess we're still waiting on that. I don't think she's ever getting paroled. I don't think any of them are. So uh, my list really quickly, uh, documentaries and or books, uh, documentary uh, that I really uh, hate to say that I enjoyed, but I found very fascinating is Flint Town. That's on Netflix about the city of Flint, Michigan, and their policing water, uh, it just overall crisis in a, in a really sad, sad state of affairs. Uh, number four, I'm going with the Ted Bundy tapes. Number three, Evil Genius. Number two, the book Devil in the White City. And number one, the tale of the rise and fiery death of uh, 
several members of the Norwegian black metal scene that is Until the Light Takes Us. Evil Genius was close to my list. That's the story of the the guy with the uh, Had a bomb strapped device. Yeah, and it's very clear that all parties involved were absolutely insane, uh, perhaps with the exception of the man that was unfortunate enough to have a bomb strapped to his face. So um, there's mine real quick. Excellent. Nice. Well, that concludes our Give Me Five questions this time. You guys got a ton of them. You got three for the price of none. Yeah, so if uh, I mean, you've got a whole bunch of things to choose from, should you guys check any of those things out, please share your opinions with us. Well, guys, it's my turn to rant. I got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> now you're going to hear about it. Yo. This week, or this past week, was the Super Bowl. I'm going to have a sort of Super Bowl-related rant. Uh, we all know the Super Bowl was horribly boring this year, right? You guys, you can... Yeah. I didn't watch it, but I, I was watching the updates, and it was like three to nothing at halftime. I was just like, oh. Yeah, so the two teams didn't belong there. It was obvious about that at the end of the first quarter, basically. You know, all, my, all the armchair quarterbacks I was in the room with were pointing out how bad the game was, and it was clear. Uh, of course, the Rams, they were gifted the, the game on a no call and a blatant penalty, and they really have no fan base. Like, half of the people were surprised that the Rams had moved to LA. I heard people saying, like, oh, this is a, a rematch of the uh, of the World Series. And someone's like, no, St. Louis wasn't in the World Series this year. It's like, no, they moved. There's that. The other team, of course, the, the Patriots were, they lost to five teams that didn't make it to the playoffs. And of course, they got there on roughing the passer call. So that's the game was dumb. But my rant is actually about all the other stuff that goes along with it. So of course, it's one of the largest events on TV. There's a ton of viewers. So everything that happens related to the game, commercials, concerts, or commercials, concerts, all that stuff, it, it people talk about it all the time. They the commercials are super expensive. They have to be the best. The performers have to reach you know a very broad audience. Uh, every year, we always hear the same thing: commercials suck. They, they were better last year, or the halftime show was boring, it sucked, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why can't it be so-and-so or so-and-so? Okay. And it drives me nuts, because literally every year, you hear the commercials were better last year. When I, I look back at it, you know, the halftime show, for example, which of course this year was Maroon 5, and they were fine. They have 10 minutes to get all the teams off the field, all the staff off the field, all the reporters trying to interview people off the field. They have to build a stage, set up lighting. Get all the performers out, get all the people on the field out. And then at the end of that, when it's not as bambostic, 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 bombastic, ban Mr. Bombastic. Thank you. Thank you uh, there. I'm not Straight. even editing that out. When all of that stuff comes down, people are like, well, it sucked because they didn't do this or that or whatever. Uh, so, you know, just kind of thinking back to it and, you know, the, music the musicians they pick have to appeal to as many people as possible. So you're not going to get. Black Sabbath. You're not going to get death metal bands. You're not going to get hard country bands. You know, pop country, yeah. And they still have to be interesting enough to hold people's attention. And regardless of what the band does, I feel like there's going to be people out there that just, like, thousands of Twitter, and I'm putting this in quotes, comedians that are just begging for attention and trying to make the funniest tweet about the band. And this is actually real ones. This game is boring, dot, 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 Maroon 5. Hold my beer. Or the... Ever so popular, because if you guys know, Burn 5 played at the end. Adam Levine took off his shirt for whatever reason. And you got 
10,000 Janet Jackson jokes. Why is, she, why is he allowed to do it, but she wasn't? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah, thanks, Chad. Thanks for wiping the ranch dressing off your fingers in time to give me the 15,000th opinion on Maroon 5. Yeah, Chad. Yeah, stupid Chad. Fuck Freaking you, Chad. Chad. <sighs> don't be Chad. Definitely don't be Steve. Anyway, um, I remember at a party I was at where people were talking about the Prince performance and laughing about it and saying it sucked. It is still considered one of the top three Super Bowl performances ever. Uh, what are the other two guys? I just want to see if you have the same opinion as me. Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga? That was, that's, that was a good one, but I've heard people complain about that one too. Um, complain about everybody. Not the yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers, not the Black Eyed Peas. Um, I don't know. Prince? You two. You two. Oh. I, I would say the ones that always come up as most popular, uh, Prince, Michael Jackson, and you two. Oh, see, I didn't like the you But uh, anyway, in this case, they the people were saying that uh, the Prince one was too sexualized. But again, it's Prince. So if uh, he doesn't get everyone in the crowd to ovulate, then he failed because that's kind of his like shtick. But anyway, um, if you feel the like performers are too boring or too risque or too controversial, we could always go back to um, 1977, where it was a live performance of It's a Small World. Uh, 1988, which was something grand, featuring 88 grand pianos, the Rockettes, and Chubby Checker. Or maybe oh, a right. salute to the, to the big band era uh, with Up With People. In 1980, they did a big salute for the big bands, because that's what's going to be left with if we try to please everybody. Uh, so until the uh, Super Bowl committee decides to broadcast people uh, typing rehash takes on Twitter for 15 minutes with buffalo sauce covered fingers, I think uh, I'm done with those those hot takes about the Super Bowl stuff. And of course, everyone is allowed their own opinion here. But, uh, you know, the case of the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl performer, uh, if everybody that is stepping on the stage is going to get mocked into oblivion, then why risk your, their careers? It's going to get to the point where we where to get positive reviews. They might have to get Zombie Prince on stage, and oh wait, I kind of want to see that. I, I I would pay to see that. Yeah, I'd watch um, that. Yeah, thank you so much for listening, guys. We are the Give Me Five podcast. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. As, as with any of these, that is F I V E spelled out, not the number five. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at. Give me five pod. If you'd like to email us directly, give me five podcasts at gmail.com. Please direct all your hate mail towards Greg. And if you could, we'd really appreciate it. If you left us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app that you are listening to us on, we'd really appreciate it. We have a store guys. We do. We do. So if you'd like to wear our very awesome logo on yourself, please check out GiveMe5Podcast.Threadless.com. And if you'd like to support the show in a different way, if you make regular purchases on Amazon, you can find a link through our, I guess, direct page at GiveMe5.Libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. You can click on our Amazon link, order, you know, those things that you normally order. It's not going to cost you anything extra, but a couple of cents from every purchase goes towards us. And that keeps the, uh, keeps the lights on, keeps the air conditioner, uh, keeps our servers cooled and our storage ample. So again, thank you so much for listening on behalf of Rob. That's me. Greg. We do have the most ample storage. Yes. It's also very supple. Myself, Jimmy, good morning, good afternoon, good night. Thanks for listening.
hearing the dulcet tones of Rob. You're listening what? to the... What? Go ahead. <laughs> Very entertaining things. My name is Greg. I'm here with Rob. What's up? And Jimmy. Howdy. Be even better if I could hear Rob. Why don't I hear Jimmy? Is oh. He talking? Oh, shit. You can't hear each other. Nope. Oh, this will be interesting. Okay, well, I'm going to keep going. That if they didn't let me bring a bottle into the theater, I would urinate in my own mouth. I see.